Bible open, open it and turn to John chapter 14. Uh, we preachers, we got all these sayings, right? And just kind of come out. John chapter 14, and let's begin reading in verse 1. This is after the Lord's Supper has been instituted, which was after the Passover. After that, Jesus washes the disciples' feet. He predicts Peter's denial. Uh, he's already identified Judas as his betrayer, and Judas has gone uh, and left them to go uh, and get the mob that's going to arrest Jesus. And Jesus now, at this point, is giving some final instructions to his apostles before this night um, takes a turn for the worst, or a turn for the better, depending on your perspective. In verse 1, he says to them, Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you, I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. And where I go, you know. And the way, you know. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know. We do not know where you are going, and how can we know the way? Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Uh, verses 1 through 4 contain some of the uh, most comforting words of Jesus. 
Uh, We read these words often at funerals, and we anticipate this big, giant house. And everybody's got a room, and everybody's together, and everybody is unified in Jesus Christ. And as comforting as those words should be to us, was Thomas comforted by those words? What was his reaction? He didn't know. You know, Tom, I love Thomas. He's like the kid in the class that raises his hand when, when everybody doesn't know the answer, but there's that one kid that's like, I do not know. <laughs> I do not understand, right? And, and Jesus says, well, you know where I'm going. You know the way. And Thomas is like, I don't know. And Jesus' response is what? I am. I'm the way. And he gives him uh, not one answer. He gives him three answers for the price of one, right? I am the way and the truth and the life. And then that explanatory uh, concept, no one comes to the Father except through me. Now this statement that Jesus makes here in this verse, I am the way and the truth and the life, no one comes to the Father except through me, uh, is in some ways one of the most controversial statements that Jesus ever makes. Uh, Jesus made lots of controversial statements, a lot of people don't know them, but most people know this one, and, and it wouldn't be controversial except for the presence of one word. Uh, the word that is used the most in this verse, which is what? Which word, single word, is used the most in this verse? The. The definite article, right? Uh, in English, it's used how many times? Uh, now you can count real quick. Four times? It'd be embarrassing if I miss one. Well, I did miss one because in Greek, it's actually in there five times. Jesus doesn't say, I am a way, I am a truth, I am a life. Lots of ways to come to the Father, and I'm one of them. No, instead, he makes the claim that he is exclusively the way, the truth, and the life. Excluding all other ways, excluding all other truths, excluding all other so-called lives that we might live to lead us to God. But that's not the only claim for exclusivity in this verse. In the Greek, the word I is emphatic. It expresses the idea of I and no other. Jesus says, I and no other am the way, the truth, and the life. It is me and only me. But that's not all the claims of exclusivity in this verse. Not just the emphatic I, not just all the these... What else is, ex, uh, is an explanatory phrase, perhaps, that shows the exclusivity of Jesus' statement? No one. What else? Except through me, and we could add only on that, right? Except through me. No one except through me comes to, we could even say, the Father, Right? There's only one God to go along with that, right? Only one God the Father. And so Jesus is saying something that makes people very, very uncomfortable in our day and age. This is the most exclusive, limited, restricting statement that Jesus makes concerning his kingdom and the people who are going to go to heaven. The gospel, 
the good news is for all. But if I may be so bold, not all are for the gospel. Because not all are willing to submit to the truth of this statement and not willing to submit to the one who made it. Not all are willing to bend their will to Jesus's. And as Christians, we're going to have to wrap our head around this reality for our good and for the good of those who are around us. For our good and our neighbor's good. For our good and our children's good. For our good and our enemy's good. For our good and our world's good. We're not going to have to just accept this statement begrudgingly. We're going to have to embrace this statement and be willing to proclaim it, as uncomfortable as that sometimes is. Now, the epistles make this same claim. Now, it's not coming from the very mouth of Jesus, but if you turn over to Ephesians chapter 4, this is one of many places where we see this. The message does not change. That, that Christ's kingdom and the gospel is for everyone who's willing to come, but only those who are willing to come under Jesus' conditions are going to be included in that. If you turn to Ephesians 4 and verse 1, um, you know, Paul spent three chapters talking about how awesome God's grace is and how everybody gets a chance to be included under Christ and how God even gave him this uh, awesome gift that he gets to preach that message to the Gentiles, revealing the mystery of God. He spent three chapters saying everybody can be a part of this. And God's grace is big enough to save anybody. And then he begins in chapter 4 by saying, I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you, I, I plead with you to walk worthy of the calling with which you were called with all lowliness and gentleness, with long-suffering, bearing with one another in love. Anybody can come, but there's some things that are required of you if you're going to be a part of this. You've got to walk worthy of this calling by which you are called. And part of that is seeing the reality of what he's about to list. Verse 3, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. How? There is one body and one Spirit, just as you are called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in you all. It only makes sense in the Bible that there's seven there, right? Seven ones. And these ones, in all of these things, are a proclamation of exclusivity. There are only one of these things. But, but it is also a foundation of singularity for us. There are only one of these things, so we don't have to worry about trying to figure out a bunch of different things. No, here's the way, here's the path, and you need to accept it and walk down it. And they are also an expectation of unity. Not unity because we're all different, but unity because we are all the same in some very important ways. That we were called with one hope in our calling. That we have one Lord and one faith and one baptism. That we are un And that there is one body that we're all a part of by one spirit. That's where we find unity. So-called unity saying you do your thing and I do mine and we just don't worry about it. That is not unity at all. And certainly not as the Bible defines it. 
And yet religious ecumenicalism is the default position of our society. And, it, and I would suggest it comes in different levels. We, we, we think about ecumenicalism and it's the idea we all, everybody's religion is equal, or non-religion is equally valid is the idea. You know, we're all just doing our own thing and we can just all accept everybody with whatever they're doing. Well, that kind of comes in different levels, doesn't it? Um, some would say, well, there are different paths to enlightenment and you just find yours while, while being a good person. And, and some people might go after God to do that or gods to do that. Other people might not. But you just be a good person and become enlightened. That's the most broad, right? But then under that, you know, there are some people say, well, just worship God. And, and whether you call God Allah or you call God Je uh, Jehovah or you call God Jesus, you know, it's all just God, so what's the big deal? Others would say... Well, just wear the name Christian. And if you call yourself a Christian, that's good enough for me. As long as you say you're a Christian, it doesn't matter what cult or denomination or group that you're a part of, that's good enough. And the problem with all of those positions is that there is only one way and one truth and one life, not many. Uh, Thomas A. Kempis said, Without the way, there is no going. Without the truth, there is no knowing, and without the life, there is no living. This is it. And Jesus is the answer to all of them. So what does Jesus mean by each of these? Well, that's our three for the price of one attempt tonight to see if we can do this. And, and what I want to do is I want to look at a few verses from... Jesus' final discourse here that maybe give us a little more insight into it. Um, first, I want you to turn to uh, chapter 16, uh, verses 5 and 6. The Bible, especially the New Testament, is chock full of talks of talk about and verses about the way or a way, those sorts of things. Can you think of any examples where, where in the Bible, Older New Testament, it talks about a way or the way? you think of any of those? <coughs> there is a way that seems right to man, but the end thereof is destruction or death, right? So that, there's a way, seems right to man, but instead we need to rely on God, okay? Any other thoughts? Maybe the New Testament. Think many times when it talks about the way, the narrow way, and the broad way. Uh, that's an excellent example. We'll uh, maybe circle back to that at some point in the lesson. Uh, anything else? Any other ways? Uh, in the book of Acts. Oh, consider your ways. That's good. So consider your ways. Um, in the book of Acts, what is the most common term for Christianity? The way. Six times in the book of Acts, Christianity is referred to as the way. Um, and so that concept is one that should be familiar to us and certainly would have been familiar to, uh, to even these apostles to whom Jesus is, is teaching. And what we see in chapter 16, verses 5 and 6, is, uh, and 5 through 7, if we want to go that far, um, is Jesus is really answering Thomas's question, sort of. So, so let's read it together and let's see what it says. 
But now I go away to him who sent me. And none of you ask me, where are you going? But because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I depart, I will send him to you. Jesus says, none of you ask me, where are you going? What did Thomas ask? Uh, he just states, I don't know where you're going. What, what is the question that he actually asks? We don't know how to get there. How can we know the, how can we know the way? We don't even know where you're going. How can we know the way? Then Jesus says, none of you asks, there in verse 5, where are you going? Why does he say that? Mine is just a question. Say what? Mine is a question more behind. None of you ask, where are you going? Well, what does that imply? What should they have done? What was the right question for Thomas to ask? Based on what Jesus says. Where are you going? Now he says, you ought to know where I'm going. But he says, if you really want to ask the question, the best question to ask, the right question to ask, is where are you going? Um, I, that's one of the things that I love about Jesus throughout all the gospel accounts. People would ask questions and uh, sometimes Jesus would answer their questions directly. Not usually. Uh, a lot of times what he would do is he would ask a question in return. Or sometimes he would answer a question that was not the question they asked. Instead, he would answer the question that they should have asked. The important question, the most important question. And I think that's part of what he's doing here in chapter 16. Uh, he's saying, your heart is filled with sorrow. The question you really need to ask is, where are you going? If they knew where Jesus was going, would their heart be filled with sorrow about it? No. Where was Jesus going? Going to the Father. That's where he's headed eventually, right? Uh, maybe there's, this is an aside. I don't have time for asides tonight, but that's okay. Maybe that's a question that we need to ask about death. Where are they going? The answer to that question is paradise. We may sorrow, but not as those who have no hope. Maybe that's a question we should ask about those who are alive. Where are they going? I'm not the judge of that. You're not the judge of that. But we do have the standard by which they will be judged. And there should be sorrow if we're not confident in the answer of paradise. Jesus says, here's the question you should be asking. Where are you going? He says, it's for your benefit. Ultimately, if I go here, if I go back to my Father. And what Jesus emphasizes about this whole idea of the way is he emphasizes the destination. Um, and I think that's where our focus needs to be as well. Um, 
you want to talk about zoomed in or zoomed out, uh, when it comes to us as Christians, our perspective basically is totally zoomed in and totally zoomed out. We know the destination where we're going, hopefully, right? We're trying to get to heaven. That's where we're going. And then we need to be focusing on what? Between here and there, what do we need to be focusing on? How to get there, that's too general. What, where in the trip do we need to be focusing? Right now. Right now. Where I am right now. The very next turn that I'm making. And, and maybe if we had that perspective, it'd be really, really helpful to us. I'm going to heaven. That's my ultimate destination. And so I've got a turn right in front of me. I've got a, I've got a decision to make. Which of these paths leads to heaven? That's the only question I need to be asking. I need to have my focus on that destination. And if every time I'm faced with a decision, I answer that question, I say, well, this is the, this is the path to heaven. This is the way. If I can answer that, then my decision is already made for me. It makes life a whole lot easier. Um, we just need to simplify it. Jesus gives us the address of our destination. He gives us a map, and then he tells us to follow him and just take it one turn at a time. Um, and so let's let's try and do that. All right, thoughts or comments about the way? Uh, we're having to go quickly to try and get all of these in. Thoughts or comments there? You know, you know what the quietest sound in the world is? Right after the teacher asks the question. I got a couple eye rolls on that one. Okay. And the truth. Jesus says, I am the truth. Let's turn to chapter 16. You're still there. Uh, and notice verse 12. I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. However, when he, the spirit of truth, has come, he will guide you into all truth. For he will not speak of his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak and he will tell you things to come. He will glorify me, for he will take care of what is mine and declare it to you. All things that the Father has are mine, therefore I said that he will take of mine and declare it to you. Um, the authority of divine truth is derived from Christ, not from ourselves or any other source. Um, and Jesus says the truth is the truth. And the Spirit is going to come and guide you into all truth. Um, truth is defined in the abstract sense of a conformity to fact or reality. Um, and its authority is the authority of reality. Jesus says, I'm going to show you the way things really are. I am the truth. And that truth can be known to us. We can know the truth because Jesus promised the apostles what? What did he promise them? We just read it. What did he promise? I'm going to send you the helper. Who's, who's the helper? The Holy Spirit. I'm going to send you the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit's going to guide you into what? All truth. Now, does that mean all truth that ever has been or ever will be? This way or that way? The truth that they need. The truth that they need. That's right. The truth that they need for what? To know the way, to get to heaven. I like the way Peter puts it, all things uh, that pertain to life 
and godliness. Well, those are things we need to know for the way, the truth, and the life, right? Uh, that's 2 Peter 1 and verse 3, uh, if you want to write that down. We live in a world where more and more are denying not so much that truth exists, but maybe denying our ability to find that truth, to find objective truth. And that, again, runs the gamut from, well, you just need to find your truth, whatever it is, to we can't interpret the Bible uh, because, you know, of our history and traditions and experiences and biases. Now, let me ask you, does uh, our history and traditions and experiences and biases, do those things impact um, our reading of Scripture, our understanding of Scripture, and those sorts of things. Should we be aware of those things as we read Scripture? Sure, absolutely. But do those things blind us to such a degree that we cannot know the truth? It, amen. It better not. It better not. Because Jesus expects us to know that truth. And the apostles, who were guided by the Holy Spirit, expect us to know that truth. Um, I, I saw this. This is from a believer. Uh, and they sarcastically wrote, uh, the clear teaching of Scripture just means the clear teaching of Scripture as my tradition has trained me to see it. Uh, and we have... We have a lot of our, there are a lot of young people who are buying into that kind of thinking. That I'm so blinded by my raisin, and I'm so blinded by Western culture, and I'm so blinded by tradition. You know, how can I even know what the truth is? How can anybody even know what the truth is? Um, and occasionally, you know, I've, I've wrung my hands about that, you know. I, I grew up in America. Uh, I grew up in a tradition that I have not left, if you look at it from a physical perspective. But then I come back and I read the Bible, and as so often happens, things clear up. Because I read Jesus, and I read the New Testament, and some things are simply the clear teaching of Scripture. And Jesus and his apostles weren't uncomfortable with proclaiming the truth. And we shouldn't be uncomfortable proclaiming the truth either when. When should we not be uncomfortable? That's probably not a well-constructed sentence. When should we be comfortable just you know, saying, this is the truth? When should we be comfortable about that? All the time? When we have, well, how do we know that we have it? Because we got a phone and we can Google. Uh, yeah. No, so some people have their Bible on their phone, right? If I can say, this is where Jesus or the apostles said that, and then I can defend why, you know, that's what they were really teaching then I should be confident to say, this is the truth. And that's not arrogance. What is that? It's the truth. What I was saying was, there's only one truth, not 
by all the time. I mean, this is always the truth. Now, this is always the truth. And it's faith. It's faith when I say this is the truth. Like so many people say, a blind truth. It's more evidence to prove this is true than any book ever written. Yeah, it's not a blind truth. Well, truth is an absolute. It's not a variable. Well, it ought to be, right? Truth ought to be absolute. Some things ought to be absolute, right? There ought to be a standard to truth. Um, and again, why do I say that? Because that's what the Bible says, that there is a standard to these things. Uh, let, let me give you just, I want to give a crystal clear example to this. Let's turn to 1 John chapter 2. Uh, I don't think I gave you a verse. 1 John 2 and verse 21. 1 John 2, 21. Notice what John says. I have not written to you because you do not know the truth, but because you know it, and that no lie is of the truth. Who is a liar, thus not of the truth, but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ? He is antichrist against Christ, who denies the Father and the Son. All right, so let's go back to that statement that a believer made. The clear teaching of Scripture means the clear teaching of Scripture is my tradition has trained me to see it. Is this the clear teaching of Scripture or not, that Jesus is the Christ? And can I be confident and say that that is the truth, that that is the reality? Is this the clear teaching of Scripture or not, that Jesus is the way and the truth and the life, and no one comes to the Father but by except through Him? And if it is the clear teaching of Scripture, then I need to accept it. Um, so, so let me... Let's explore this a little bit. Um, maybe I'm preaching to the choir tonight. Uh, I don't know who's watching or who might watch. Um, I know just about everybody here, I think. Um, but I, I look at friends and family uh, and people younger than me, people older than me who've fallen away from the faith, left the church, left Christendom as a whole. Uh, what's what's the issue? What are we missing? Um, the the word the the buzzword now is deconstruction. You know they're deconstructing their faith and however they define that. You know maybe that means that they don't believe in Jesus anymore. Maybe it means they just want to go to a different church. But they're deconstructing. Um, and there are lots of issues, and I don't claim to uh, know every issue that is out there or. Or everything that every person has been through. Or, or every trauma that somebody has had. Uh, but there's a big issue right here in this verse with what Jesus claims. And let me say, preaching to the choir, I'm preaching to a lot of parents and grandparents too. This concept is one that we have to get across to our children. And if we can get across that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through him... It will solve so many issues that we might have. K. 
Can we start with this basis that there is one way, one truth, one life? Can, can we agree upon, upon that basis, that standard for, for singularity? Uh, can we make that our foundation? Then we can have a conversation with someone uh, about what that includes. We can work out the details from there. But we have to start that Jesus from his own lips establishes that there is there is the way, the truth, and the life. That's what Jesus said. It's not what I said. That's not my interpretation of it. That's what he said. And from there, okay, well, let's determine what is that way and that truth and that life. And God's grace is wonderful and God's grace is powerful, but it is God's grace. It's not my grace. And I don't get to bestow His grace on myself or anyone else. God does that. And Jesus says you don't come to the Father and you don't receive the grace unless you do it my way. Unless you come through me. Can we agree on that basis? And then we can have a discussion about what that is. Ted? And that excludes all other. That excludes all of them. Um, there is one right way. Can we, can we say that? There's one right way? Now, now, how wide is that way? Well, let's discuss what's included. You know, let's discuss, well, where's the right side of the road and the left side of the road? Where are you between the guardrails? But Jesus said this way is what? It's narrow. So let's not make it more wide or more narrow than what he makes it. Can we start there in these things? Uh, one of the issues that people have brought up, I'm not letting go of Jesus, just all of these traditions. Well, hallelujah. Praise God that I'm not bound by traditions of men. But don't throw the baby out with the bathwater. If you're going to throw out tradition, please, please, just check twice to make sure it's not Jesus you're throwing at. I've... I, I, I heard this statement from a Christian. You know, in regard to... I'm not going to tell you what it's in regard to. But they were bemoaning our world and says, you know, sometimes the non-religious world is just ahead of Christianity. The world is not the source of truth. And for that matter, neither is Christianity. Jesus is the source of truth. And he gave the Holy Spirit to the apostles so that they would guide us into all truth and all that pertains to life and godliness. And if we're saying that the world is somehow getting it right and Christianity is getting it wrong, then you're absolutely right. You need to get out of whatever form of Christianity you're saying it is. But you better not get out of Jesus in so doing. This is not the tone I intended for this class. <laughs> so please take it from the heart that it's given. I'm going to go to heaven. And so help me God, whatever I have to give up in order to get there, I'm going to go to heaven. I believe that Jesus is the one who's going to get me there. Yes, by His grace. 
his marvelous grace. But also by his instruction on the way and the truth and the life. This is where unity is found. It's where hope is found. This is where life is found. Uh, we didn't get to chapter 17. You have to excuse me on that. Um, but let's go to chapter 17 now in regard to the life. Chapter 17. Jesus spoke these words, lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son. On a cross. Glorify your son that your son may glorify you. As you have given him authority over all flesh that he should give eternal life to as many as you have given him. And this is eternal life that they may know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. I can give them eternal life. The life is not primarily talking about the way we live. That's more the way. Instead, it's talking about eternal life, the source of life. In John 14 and verse 19, Jesus says, Because I live, you will live too. We already read about how Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life, and eternal life is found in knowing God and knowing Christ and receiving life from them. And it should give us comfort knowing that Jesus is going to prepare a place for us. And in His Father's house are many rooms. And that we can go and be part of that house filled with the family of God. And so that brings us to I Am Are We. Um, some things I want to stay here, but instead I'm going to skip ahead in the negative three seconds I have left. Can I just say I Am We Aren't? I am not the I am. I am not the way. I am not the truth. I am not the life. And I cannot come to the Father by myself. I am not all of those things that Jesus is, which means I need Him. And I cannot rely on myself and on my own direction. Thomas wasn't comforted by Jesus' sayings because he had unanswered questions. But Jesus says, Thomas, you knew the answer all along. And maybe so do we in this room. Let us share that, let us share that answer with others. Uh, one more thing, because I'm pressing my luck. This statement is a summation of the I am's. I am. The source is Jesus. He is the bread of life, the source of all provisions. I am the way. He shows us the way as the light of the world who directs us and opens our eyes to the way we should go. I am the truth. He protects us and leads us as the door and the good shepherd. The truth shows us what to do and what not to do as we talked about in our invitation last week. He says, I am the life. And He saves us as He says, I am the resurrection and the life. And then finally, no one comes to the Father but by me. We'll talk about that next time when Jesus says, I am the true line, vine, as He adopts us and includes us 
and his family. Thank you for your good attention tonight.